0: I want you to think about this morning to start with, the first car that you remember your parents had. Now, for some of us, that's a ways back. For some of us, maybe not as far. The car that my parents had was a green automobile, but I don't really remember it, I've seen pictures. So the first automobile that I remember was a black S10 pickup that my dad had. Not too long, but he had it for a bit. But I want you to think about that vehicle. And at some point, that vehicle was a new vehicle. It may have been that your mom and dad bought that as a new vehicle. More than likely, it was probably new to somebody else. But it originally was new. And over time, that vehicle was used. It was driven. It took you to work. And it took you to church, it took you to school, and it took you on vacation. And if you remember, at some point, that vehicle had to have some maintenance, had to have some work done. I want you to think right now where that vehicle is. Odds are, most of them have been scrapped, junked, squashed, recycled. It may have be, been in a pop can that you had last night. It came from a truck that you drove 20 years ago. Who knows? But most of those vehicles have long gone away. But in the summer, right down this street, they have car shows where people go and look at all of these old cars and trucks. Nobody things from the 50s and 60s and 70s, and it's odd to say that old cars from the 80s but they'll be down there and they look fantastic. They look better in many cases maybe than they did in 1958. They've been restored. But it took work and it took effort and it took dedication from people somebody to say I want to restore this car. Because for a lot of us, the car that we drove, or maybe your parents drove, was traded in or sold. And you might have saw it go down the road a time or two after you sold it. But for most of us, the answer to the question of where is that car? Not a care, not a no idea where, and honestly don't care. This morning, We're going to talk about the restoration of the church. And I hope I have understood the assignment as Mike has given it to me. If if I run out of here at the end, if he looks angry and I run out, I've done it wrong. But I hope that I get this correct. But we're going to talk about principle, plea, and movement of the church of Christ. But we're talking about restoration this morning. Church history, in many ways, can be divided in a similar fashion as that card that we talked about just a moment ago. There was the age of the New Testament church. And your Bible is written at a time when the church was emerging. The church was developing. We sort of think about the church as this entity that just sort of appeared, but that's not really the case. The church had to be developed over time. And you can see the struggles of that in the work that was done in Acts, but also in like the writings that Paul writes uh, to, uh, to to the, the various churches that had to deal with issues. And we look at that and we say, okay, well, that was what that church was struggling with. Well, over time then, church teachings were often manipulated. They were modified. They were changed. Organizations emerge over time and do things slightly different. Mike was mentioning a bit earlier about some People uh, that were involved in restoration. But if you look up restoration, it'll send you a couple hundred years prior to the reformation. The Protestant reformation in term, and Martin Luther and names that you may be familiar with. But people across Europe began to question, why is the church operating the way it is? Is the church operating correctly? But over time, they started to question if that was the way it should be. But even then, it wasn't fixed. It wasn't resolved necessarily. There were small issues here and there that had been remedied. But what we're going to talk about is the age of restoration. The idea of restoring. See, what happened is, in that reformation, that was much like taking that car and getting it worked on. All of us have had the car worked on And the mechanic has said, well, hopefully it'll get you a few thousand more miles. Kevin, you can relate to this with your trucking life, right? But you know that it's probably not really fixed. Well, what we're going to talk about this morning with restoration was this notion of fixing. How would you fix the church? Well, the decision was made, and not necessarily individually, but as a group, that the way to fix it is to return to what the Bible had taught The same thing that had started at the beginning. Three things about restoration are worthy of note. I've got them all three ready: principle, plea, and movement. Let's talk about principle first. Principle restoration principle is pretty straightforward. To whatever extent there has been apostasy, to whatever extent there has been corruption, to whatever extent something has gone wrong, then restoration needs to take place. I read a book a couple of years ago by a man named Drew Filt and it was called A $500 House in Detroit. And if you know anything about the city of Detroit about 180 years ago it was one of the biggest cities in the country. But it's weathered away and it's not near as big as it used to be. And they have all these empty houses and this guy the, the city wanted people to buy them and restore them because it was just a blight otherwise. And so he paid $500 for a house. And most of you are thinking, okay, for a house sounds really good. Because if you bought a house in the last year or so, you probably paid a lot more than $500. But what he realized really quickly was the $500 down payment included a whole lot more cost along with it. Because this is a house that he bought that hadn't been lived in in like 40 years. And it was in disintegrating shape. It took a lot of work to do. So the point here is when we think about restoring something, it might seem cheap or easy at the start but it's going to be a complicated thing you can't fix it just like that so restoration plea then if we move beyond well Peter had already started to see this early in the church history in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 11 we read Peter saying anyone speaks what does he say he said let him speak as the oracles of God. You probably have heard that before. And so what he's saying here in this writing is that if we're going to speak, if we're going to be the church, if we are going to represent the church, we are going to speak as the oracles or as the word of God says. That's going to be the starting point for it. So that's the restoration plea from, I don't know, 80 AD, but it would be the same restoration plea from a couple hundred years ago, and I would argue the same one Today. Now the third thing is capitalized. Because this is a title, as it were. The restoration movement. Because we can be principled and we can have pleas, but a movement is a step beyond. A movement is an action for. It. And people realize that the departure of the church over time and they were motivated to return to the old method. The old way, what had been done, what had begun in the New Testament. Movement to restore begins to develop. But I want to talk about then, what is the New Testament church? You've probably heard that statement before, right? The New Testament church. Well, what is that? Well, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock... I will build my church. Well, this rock, if you look at Matthew chapter 16 a little bit before, is what Peter had confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God. He was who, and Jesus had asked him, who do people say that I am? And that's what Jesus, or excuse me, that's what Peter says about Jesus. Well, Peter had made this confession, and Jesus said, on that foundation, that's what it's all going to be built upon. And so that's our starting point. That $500 house in Detroit had a foundation. That boy had to do some work on it. But it had a foundation. But that's what we're going to start building on. And what was the chief cornerstone? Well, Jesus is described as being that. And so the confession that Jesus is the Son of God is our starting point. So if we're going to restore a New Testament church, we need to go back to what was the New Testament church, which was Jesus being the foundation. We'll build up from there. Now... On the day of Pentecost, following the death of Jesus, Peter preached. He stood before several thousand people in Jerusalem. And he told those listening, they were responsible for the death of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, he said, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Friends, what are we to do? They were asking, what should we do? If we have messed up, how do we fix this? Well, this sermon that Peter gives is widely regarded as the first gospel sermon. It's, how it's taught as. And this is sort of the start of the church, as it were. Verse 38, he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A little later in Acts, Luke says that day by day the Lord added to those to their number those who were being saved. This was the start of the church. Well, the church is an entity. We need to know more about it. What did the New Testament New Testament church teach? Well, to start with, one, that Christ was the Son of God. Two, that Christians, followers of Christ, must live a Christian life. As we saw just a moment ago, we need to be baptized. They would gather weekly to remember Christ's death. Uh, and, and around the table to observe the Lord's as We just did with Ben there a few moments ago. And if they were faithful, they would be promised an eternal life. But over time, the New Testament church became mangled. It became adjusted. It became modified or changed because it met different criteria or it required different things of people. And so different organizations viewed, said, okay, we'll keep this, but maybe not that. We'll keep that, but maybe not this. So when something is broken, it has to be restored. And so the restoration movement, the songs that, we talked, that we've sang, that what Mike talked about a few moments ago, starts to emerge in the early 1890s, probably late 1700s, but 225 some odd years ago. And it was part of a much larger movement that's called the Second Great Awakening. That may not mean anything to you, but how many of you have slept really good for 10 hours or whatever and you wake up and you're like, oh, ready to face the day, right? A great awakening as it were. You have rested and now you're ready to start over. Well religion in our country was very similar to that. There was this awakening there was this emerging, there was this idea that maybe the church has not been what it should have been. And maybe there needs to be an awakening or maybe a restoration of that church. Various members various people, various groups all felt they had drifted away from the basics of Christianity. What do we say the basics were? We said a minute ago what the New Testament church was. The foundation being the confession that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. What the church would do. And so we saw groups, like we said, and we see up there, Methodist groups, and baptist groups, transparent groups. Those are groups that are from the 1500s and 1600s. All of these folks, lots of these folks left their organizations. And so we're going to start but maybe starts off the right word, we're going to try to restore the church as it had previously been. The primary belief in that restoration was that Jesus was the model and the Bible would be the book. When you take that car to get it repaired, your mechanic hopefully knows what to do. But if your mechanic doesn't know what to do, I hope they're going to a resource that can instruct them on how to fix it. You know, when you look something up and you're looking for even something as simple as like windshield wiper blades, you say, well, I've got a 2010 Toyota Tacoma. Well, I can't look in the book that says 2020 Honda Accord. It's two different things, right? I've got to go to the right place in the book. And so when the church, this concept of the church, this restoration idea, they said we're going to use Jesus as our model and we're going to use the Bible as the book. Mike mentioned a few names of some folks there a few moments ago, some early influential leaders. Mike mentioned Alexander Campbell and Martin W. Stone. Alexander Campbell's father was Thomas Campbell and he famously said, this is not scripture, but he famously said, we'll steep." where the Bible speaks and we'll be silent where the Bible is silent. That's not in the Bible. Obviously, that's not there. But that's a term, that's a statement that has emerged and stuck with the Restoration Church. Speak where the Bible speaks. Be silent where the Bible is silent. What that means is we're not going to make anything up. We're just going to go back to the Bible. I hope my mechanic tells me I went and looked it up and I found right here this is how you fix whatever the problem is. Well, as Christians, how many times do people come to you with a problem and you say, I think we ought to do, we're all guilty of it, right? But what we really should say is, let's go to our Bible and find the instructions here. It may be kind of hard to find, but I hope my mechanic will look a while before he just says no. But we would do the same thing, that we're going to look and see from the Bible. If it doesn't say it, we not to say Those followers of, Stamp, of Stone and Campbell that we mentioned a moment ago called themselves Christians or disciples. Both words are acceptable, both words work, both tiles work there as well. And they had a goal of establishing a united Christian church. The modern-day church promised the modern-day Christian church, Disciples of Christ, the modern-day independent Christian church, all come from that. So even in an effort to establish unity, it was difficult because people had different desires. And you can drive straight down this street and look on both sides of the road and find different names of different organizations. So when I say that, the restoration movement, the restoration attempt was an effort to try and unite or to restore the church. It was in some ways successful, but in some ways not. Because a lot of people clung to the tradition rather than to the Bible. Among those key principles there, recognizing the New Testament pattern, eliminating names and Traditions that divide believers from one another but can't be found in Scripture. And giving no one church authority over another. That's what the restoration movement said. That's what it would be. And I would hope that our goal, that our church still considers these as important. That we still use the New Testament as our pattern form. If somebody says, Why does your church do something this way? the answer should absolutely not ever be because we've always done it that way. That's the worst possible answer that you can give. We need to be ready to give a defense for what we do at any and all times. And if you don't know the answer, look it up, right? Figure it out. Go to get help If you don't know the answer, I'm not asking you to know the answer to every question somebody's going to present. But sometimes we say, moms, dads, because I said so, that'll hush them up. They won't ask anymore, right? Well, if our answer to why does the church do something because because I said so, we've done it all wrong. But whenever your mom told you because I said so, I always wanted to respond, but why? Well, if we were to say... Because the Bible says so. Then we need to be prepared for the follow-up that says, but why? And then we're going to go back to it. See, if we're restoring something, we're fixing it completely. We're not fixing it partly and throwing a couple extra parts in on the end. and like, that'll, that'll fix it. That's not the way it works. We need to use that Bible, that New Testament as our head. We eliminate anything that does not come from the Scripture. Church today. The goal of the Restoration Movement was to restore New Testament Christianity. Kevin read a few moments ago from Luke chapter 8. And you might have thought that's an odd, if you knew what we were talking about, maybe that verse or those series of verses don't necessarily match with what we're doing. But I want a petition that maybe it does. Our scripture reading mentioned that the seed is the Word of God. And in that reading from Luke, Kevin said, Kevin was reading, that that some of it fell on... Rocks, right? And some of it fell on hard soil. And some of it fell on... Falls in different places. That was written 2,000 years ago. Just to make the math easy. Does that still work today? How many people have you talked to about the Bible or about the church? And it went in one ear and out the other. You could tell they weren't more interested in hearing that than anything. How many people have you talked about with the Bible or the church... And it went in there, and you you can tell that it sort of spun around in there a little bit. But there's some other things that they kind of like to do, maybe ranks a little higher than the church. How many people have you talked to about the church over time, and you know it's set in there? And you might right now be waiting on a response from them, and it may have been 20 years ago. How many people do you know that you've planted that seed, and you've seen it sprout You've seen it grow, right? There are people in here that are one of those four types of life. But if Christ is going to be our guide or who we follow and the Bible is going to be our guide, well, let's just plant that seed and see what happens. Let's just put that out there. We don't have a hierarchy We don't have an earthly headquarters. We don't have a creed book or a church manual. If you look in your pew in front of you, there will probably be two things. There's a psalm book that we don't hardly use anymore, and there's probably a Bible. But if there's not a Bible, odds are you have a Bible as well. And if you're like me and Josh, it's falling apart and about to disintegrate, but we don't want to get rid of it. But you have that as your guide. Christ is our follower. is who we follow. The Bible is our guide. The church should continually strive to go back to the Bible. Three things right here. Number one, go back to the God of the Bible. Two, go back to the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Three, go back to the church of the Bible. Amen. And you might say, "Well, Daniel, you said a few moments ago that the restoration movement was in the late 17 and 1800s. Why are we still talking about it? Because it never stops. And if you go down here this summer and talk to any of those men or women who have restored one of those cars, they will tell you this work never stops. Because if you don't do, if you restore it to its perfect glory." And leave it alone, it'll start to break apart. That happened in the early church. We can't let it happen in the modern church. We have to be constantly restored. We have to be constantly working to make sure that it emerges restored more, that's probably not the right way to say it, than it was when we got it. Does that make sense? I hope so. Because the church is important. You as a Christian are important. But you're not a Christian by birth. You may have been born in the United States. That makes you an American citizen by birth. But you're not a Christian by birth. You're not a Christian by nationality or by race. None of those things make one a Christian. See the early church had to deal with that. They had people that were sort of tied to the old Jewish law, but they wanted to become Christians as well, and there were these debates. And you can read about them in the Bible about the, should I be, should people still be circumcised? Should we still eat the same food? As, and, and people were conflicted over that. And the teacher said that stuff doesn't matter. You want to become a Christian. See why are you eating the things that you eat? Well. The Jewish law said we had to. Why were you Jewish? Because my parents were. That's what I was born into. They said, that we're not worried about what the past was. We're worried about going forward. Amen. You would choose to be a Christian. You are a Christian by choice. How does that happen? Well, again, it's not by birth, by nationality, by race. But instead, five simple, a handful of simple things. Number one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek them. We have to have a faith. We have to have a belief in Jesus. That's the starting point. If I don't have any faith, or I don't have any belief, if I'm not interested in it, then I'm probably not going to take the next couple of steps. But I have to have a belief first. I have to make changes in life. We have to repent of sin. Repent is a turning away from sin. It's difficult, right? To go this way and turn around and go the other other direction. But it involves a sorrow that's there as well. For what we've done wrong and desire to do better. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, we read, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands men everywhere to repent. There was a requirement that people would have to change. We have to confess Christ. We have to say in front of our fellow man that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. This is not just a religious ceremony. One of the complaints, one of the concerns, one of the worries that prompted even like the restoration movement, was the notion that some of these ceremonies that were in the church had become more ceremonial and less scriptural. Baptism is a ceremony, yeah. But it's a scriptural requirement. It is a requirement that we see in Acts 2 and verse 38. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Galatians 3, 27. Mark 16:16. 16, 16. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. All of those are New Testament writings to the New Testament. Church. If our goal is to restore New Testament Christianity, we simply have to go back to what the New Testament requires. This is all over the New Testament. Baptism is a requirement for the remission of sin. The church is a living organism. With anything living, always changing. Some changes are necessary, some are helpful. I'm glad Mike said what he did about the screen made it a lot easier to look up there this morning than it did have to look down. You ever notice, too, that when you sing in your songbook, if you're doing this, you're singing to the top of your legs, and instead you sing out to the, we can hear us a lot better. Some of us might want to lean down right? But sometimes those technological things can improve it, right? The church is a living, breathing organism. But without guidance, an organism can become something entirely different from what the original plan was. The goal of the restoration movement was to return the church to the way that it had been established in the New Testament. It's a never-ending process. But it's our responsibility to keep that restoration going forward. There might be a start date for the restoration movement, but there's no end date. It's constantly being worked on, constantly being restored but constantly looking back to what the Bible said in the New Testament. If there's anything that we can do for you, any way that we can help you become part of this restored New Testament church, whatever we, do, whatever we can do, we invite you to come while we stand and say.